Everybody at some point in their life has experienced guilt and or shame. What's the difference between guilt and shame? Is there a difference? Well, we are going to be talking all about that on today's episode of Real Talk. Let's get into it. Hey, welcome back everybody to another episode of Real Talk with Kane Adams. And hey, look, I've been enjoying this podcast. I hope you've been enjoying it too. It's been a whole lot of fun. And we've got two episodes left of this season. And so uh, I thought what would be great for the final two episodes would be to talk about a topic which I'm sure a lot of us have experienced in our lives. Um, So we're going to do a two-part series all about guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. What's the difference? Is there a difference between guilt and shame? Uh, I think a lot of us know what it feels like to deliberately do something wrong and we know that we are the only ones that are left to blame when that happens. And so uh, we're going to be talking all about that. Uh, Is there a difference between guilt and shame? Well, I think it's one of those terms that people can use uh, interchangeably. People talk about guilt, people talk about shame, thinking that it means the same thing, but, but it actually doesn't. Uh, there's a vast difference, I believe, in uh, between guilt and shame. And so we're going to be talking all about that. Basically, how we're going to structure this is today, we're going to be talking about the difference between guilt and shame. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be talking about how do we know that we have shame and how do we break free from it? Okay, wonderful. Okay, well, let's get straight into it. What is the difference between guilt and shame? Let's begin with guilt. And I want to start off with the scripture. This is quite a lengthy one. From the book of Genesis, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 13. And so let's take a look. I'm sure a lot of you should be familiar with this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that, has, that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God uh, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Quite amazing, isn't it? Uh, so this is the first instance, I think, in, in the Bible where we have seen guilt uh, appear, and, and a sense of self-consciousness as well, because they realized that they were naked. And so before these passages, we have God instructing Adam and Eve not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it was a very clear instruction. There was no ambiguity about it. And then the serpent comes along and he tricks Adam and Eve. And he says, 
did God a good did God really say that you must not eat from any tree which I find fascinating that's probably the first example of gaslighting in the Bible as well basically he was lying to Eve uh, by using words like did he not say that you, that you could not eat from any tree um, uh, intending to, to to trick her into thinking that they couldn't eat from any tree uh, which was a lie and so and so Satan you know, the serpent is, is a, um, a, a metaphor basically for Satan and uh, representation for Satan and for the devil. And so he lies to her and Eve believes him and then eats the fruit from the tree. Uh, and even though even though Eve was was uh, uh, deceived, she was willfully disobedient of God's will. So she knew what she was doing. She she didn't she didn't uh, th- there's no excuse basically for what she did. She knew what the instruction was from God. It was clear and she knew that she was breaking it. Uh, and so what happened was then um, both of them ate the fruit and their eyes were open for the first time and they realized that they were naked and they experienced guilt for the first time and and then when God came walking through the garden they hid why because they knew that they did wrong and I think that's quite uh, interesting because that is exactly what we do as well that whenever we transgress uh, a, a moral law or whenever we sin whenever we do something that we know is wrong our first instinct is to cover it is to hide it to hide it away uh, and so it's interesting how what they did here in the garden where they hid, how that has transgressed through, uh, that has um, transcended through generations uh, to us today. And that's exactly what we do as well. So in light of the garden story that we've just read, what is guilt? What is it? How do we explain it? What is guilt? Guilt is an indication, or perhaps it's a warning sign, that lets us know that we've transgressed a moral law. So when we do something wrong, it's this alarm bell that goes on inside of us that lets us know. It's, it's like a voice that says to us, hey, what you are doing uh, is wrong. And if you continue to go down this road, you're going to be acting against your design and you're going to find yourself hurt and in destruction. Uh, and so in a way, it's a form of protection. And that's, what, that, that, that's kind of the design of guilt. It's inherent inside of each and every one of us. So it... it, it lets us know that we've transgressed a moral law. And what do I mean by a moral law? Well, there's a great scripture in the book of Jeremiah that talks about this. Jeremiah 33 verse 13, and it says this, and this is God talking here. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'll put put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. And so every single one of us, has the law of right and wrong written inside of us, written on our hearts in the form of a conscience. And I'm sure we've all heard that word before. Every single one of us has it. We have a conscience. We know deep down what is right and what is wrong. And and I don't think there's any way around that. Uh, we, we have a moral law deep inside of us that we understand that we don't have to explain in a way, but we don't have to have a revelation about it. We, we we know deep down, even as a child, if you steal a cookie from the cookie jar, you know what you're doing is wrong. It's deep in our hearts. And perhaps I suppose this is where a belief in atheism or, or a belief in naturalism can begin to break down when, the well, it's the idea that we are formed from nothing uh, and that we are mere animals with no soul and no spirit. Uh, but of course, if, the, if if we are only made of matter and we are nothing but animals, 
uh, made on accident, driven by our own desires, driven by the environments around us, then how can you possibly have an objective moral value system? Uh, where would that come from? Where would morals come from? Where would right and wrong come from? And so I suppose if you were to say that there is no such thing as a God, but there is such thing as absolute uh, morals or an absolute moral value system, then you're contradicting yourself. Because without a God, you can't have, or without a higher power, let's say, to determine what right and wrong is, then everything is relative. And it's interesting because some people can be, well, a lot of people can be quick to accept that, that yes, perhaps uh, morals and perhaps right and wrong and good and evil is relative. But the problem with that is that you can't live it out. You try living that out. How do you live that out? All it takes is for me to, to come along and steal your wallet to, to, to show that, that you, you're probably not able to live that out. Um, okay, and so then what happens is with moral law, some people can go, okay, well, maybe we determine as individuals what was right and wrong. Each and every one of us, and you hear this a lot. People say things like, what is right for you is okay, and, and what is right for me is right for me. Or, or you're more than welcome to live your truth if, if I can live my truth, right? What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. Um, but that could break down very easily as well because, like I mentioned before, maybe I might believe that it's right for me to steal your wallet. I'm low in cash. I'm low in funds. I need money. And so uh, for me, it's right to steal your wallet. And, of course, you're not going to respect that. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna detest that. You're gonna argue against that, and you're gonna argue that it's not fair. You'll say things like, "It's not fair," but what do you mean by "it's not fair"? Not fair in comparison to what? In measurement to what? What kind of standard? Uh, and so that doesn't work. So then some people might say, "Okay, well, if if individuals don't come up with morals or right and wrong, then perhaps it's society. Maybe collectively as a society, we come up with what's right and wrong." But then you see that breaks down too, because what society? What society? Hitler? Uh, you know, in Nazi Germany? Or society under uh, 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 Mao Zedong in communist China? Or society under Pol Pot? Or under Joseph Stalin in, in Russia? What society are you talking about? And so, and I mean, I suppose a way to, 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 to break that down would be just to look at the civil rights un uh, movement in the 1960s. You know, a, a reason why we hail Martin Luther King Jr. with everything that he did with the civil rights movement isn't because he went with society, it's because he went against society and what they believed. In fact, uh, he says this quote, which um, I don't have the exact quote here, but it's something along these lines that, uh, that he says, the US law says that it is right to separate people based on the color of their skin. But I believe in a law above the law. There is a law above the law that says to separate people based on the color of their skin is abhorrently wrong. Uh, and he's talking about the moral law. And, and this is the reason why we hail him, right? In a, in a culture in the United States that not only said it was, was appropriate to separate people according to the color of their skin, but, but it's virtuous to do that. He stood against that and said, no, despite what the popular opinion is, it is abhorrently wrong to separate people based on the color of their skin. And so, so the moral law, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's a law above the law. It's written on our hearts. It's something that we can't determine. It's something that we, we can't program ourselves which actually reminds me right now of a great quote from, from Tim Keller. He says, uh, in regards to our conscience, he says that our conscience cannot, uh, our, our conscience is not programmable. It can only be honored. Our conscience is not programmable. It can only be honored. And 
it's true, you know, that our conscience, you see, our conscience is connected deeply to a moral value system that transcends us. It's above us. That uh, that has been there since the beginning of time. Uh, right and wrong, good and evil, objectively existent before we even existed. And so to think that we can program that is, is absurd. It's absurdity to think that. Uh, um, to think that we can program it. We can't. It's like, be like a mouse trying to tell a lion what to do. It's ridiculous. Uh, and so we can't program our, our conscience or our moral system or what is right and wrong. We can only honor it. And then, of course, um, and I go on, So, so, uh, but I will just add this little tidbit, just one more. Is, um, C.S. Lewis talks about this in, in Mere Christianity. Fantastic book, Mere Christianity. In the very opening chapter of it, and he talks about this exact conundrum about, uh, about right and wrong, and he says how all of us appeal to a kind of standard that we expect that everybody automatically knows about. And what happens is that if we break that standard or if we do something that goes against that standard, what we don't do is we don't say to the other person, oh, to hell with your standard. We don't do that. But instead, we come up with an excuse or we come up with a case or something that helps us to justify why what we did didn't actually go against the standard. And then quarrels happen, arguments happen. And so I guess the point in that is that whether or not you agree with if you broke the standard or not, I think everybody can agree that a, a standard exists, that there is a standard that exists uh, that all of us appeal to automatically because it's our conscience that's written on our hearts. So back to guilt. Guilt is an indication or warning sign that lets us know that we've broken a moral law. Okay, so let's take a look at guilt from a theological perspective. And this is where I want to turn things upside down a little bit because I think there are a lot of Christians who would think and believe that guilt is something that is not of God. That when we become Christians, that when we become born again, and that we are, receive forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, that we ought never to feel guilty ever again. Uh, but that's simply not true. It's not biblical. Guilt is absolutely from God. Uh, it is something that he has designed uh, in each and every one of us so that we can be aware of this, of the sin that's in our lives, of the laws that we are transgressing. Uh, and, and I suppose a, a way to think about it is that and that guilt is known perhaps more in theological terms as conviction, as the word conviction. And the Bible talks a lot about conviction. We read in John verse 16, sorry, John chapter 16 verse 8, the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And so guilt is something that's from God. It's a good thing. Uh, and, and, he's, and it's placed inside of us. I mean... Can you, well, let's put it this way. Can you imagine a world without guilt? Imagine a world without guilt. Everybody would just be committing murders everywhere uh, and immoral, uh, um, you know, uh, activities and, and, and everything. And people would just be driven by their desires without a care in the world. And it would just be an absolute mess. I mean, you can, I mean, the world is chaotic enough as it is now. But can you imagine people with, imagine if nobody had guilt? I mean, it would just be, the amount, of, the amount of atrocities that would take place would just be unbelievable. The world would be an absolute mess. It would be chaos with no order whatsoever. And so we need guilt. We need it. And it's from God. Why? Because guilt gives us the opportunity to repent. Without guilt, we don't have the opportunity to repent. In other words, without guilt, there is no repentance. And we, all, we need repentance. Repentance. Because repentance is what brings reconciliation. 
It's what brings trust. It's what brings faith. And so, and so we need that. And so God has created inside of us this warning system known as conviction uh, that, that's designed to prompt us towards repentance. It's designed to prompt us that when we, com- uh, that when we transgress a moral law and commit a sin, that instead of running away from it and hiding it, we're given an, a choice, an opportunity to run to the arms of the Father to confess what we've done wrong and to receive reconciliation and receive forgiveness and to reorient our lives back to the way that he's designed us. So that's guilt. Well, what about shame? What about shame? Uh, what's the difference between guilt and shame? And I think the best way to do this would be to use examples in the form of statements. So let's say that you've done something wrong. You've broken a moral law. You've, <laughs> you've stolen a cookie out of the cookie jar, okay? Guilt comes along and it says, I've done something wrong. Okay, that's those warning alarm bells inside, that warning system that is lighting up and letting you know that you've transgressed moral law. So so guilt comes along and says, I've done something wrong. Whereas shame would come along afterwards and it will add to that statement and say, and what an awful person I must be to have done it. And there's a big difference between that. So Guilt comes along, well, guilt is feeling bad about what you've done, whereas shame is feeling bad about who you are. Guilt is saying, I've done something wrong, whereas shame is saying, I am something wrong. Can you see the difference here? The difference here is that guilt is connected solely to our actions, to what we have done, whereas shame takes those actions that we've done and creates a bridging connection to our identity, and it, and it connects what we have done to our identity. And so guilt is not attached to our identity, whereas shame is. You feel guilty when you do something wrong, but but what you have done wrong is not attached to who you are as a person. It's not attached to your identity. It's not attached to your value, to your worth. Uh, whereas shame takes that guilty feeling that you're feeling when you've done something wrong and it creates a bridging connection to who you are as a person. I love, um, I love this quote. I'm not quite sure who said it. Um, it might be one of my favorite uh, counselors, uh, Jim Cress. He, he's a, um, a counselor online. Anyway, he's, I think it was him. He says this quote, Shame occurs when guilt is left unattended. Shame occurs when guilt is left unattended. And I just think that it is so true. Basically what happens is we steal the cookie from the cookie jar. We feel guilty. We are given the opportunity to repent. But instead what we do is we hide. We don't repent, we hide. And when we do that, and when that guilt is left unattended, uh, and we run away, uh, then, then that's when shame comes in, takes what you have done, creates a bridging connection and, 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 and links it to your identity. And that's when you begin to get those lies. Those lies start to come in. Okay? And so shame is the result of the devil hijacking this internal warning system that's inside of us. And, and he begins to send alarm bells and these screaming messages that are simply not true. What begins as a warning connected to what we have done becomes a lie connected to who we are. And that's what we need to watch out for. So we need to watch out for that line uh, from where guilt turns into shame, where, where, where it goes from merely what we have done uh, to a connection to our identity and to who we are. And so something to understand, and this is a really important point, and, and, and I want to make this very clear, is that what we do does not determine our worth or our value as human beings. That no matter what you do in your life, 
your worth as a human being, your value as a human being does not change. Uh, We are, in all of us, every single one of us are precious daughters and sons of God. We are created in his image, deeply loved and deeply accepted by him through the blood of Jesus and through his amazing grace. And so your value and your worth that God has placed on you from the very beginning of time does not change in accordance with the actions or the behaviors that you perform. Our actions are not connected to our worth. Um, And believe me, the devil, Satan, the serpent, he is passionate about trying to break down that truth and turn it into a lie. He is passionate about telling you that what you do is directly uh, connected to your worth. Uh, And that if you screw up in your life, you do something wrong, then you've lost a sense of value. You've lost a sense of worth. Uh, And it's not true. It is not true. So a major difference between guilt and shame here is that even though guilt is from God, uh, shame is absolutely not from God. It is not from him. Uh, Because what shame does is it undermines our worth. And it says that you don't have worth or any worth at all, which is not true. It's a lie. It's not true. And we know this because shame in in theological terms can be known uh, through the Bible as condemnation. And the Bible talks about condemnation very clearly. Uh, a scripture I think of is Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so as Christians, God does not, and he will never condemn us. Why? Because he's already condemned Christ on the cross. So when we become Christians and accept uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and what he has done for us, the story of the gospel that he took our sin upon himself. He paid our debt that he suffered on the cross as our substitute for us, that God condemned him on the cross so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be reconciled back to him, so that we could have the perfect record that Jesus lived. And that's the story of the gospel. Because of that, it would be unjust for God to require two payments because Christ really paid the payment for us. And so it would be unjust for God to condemn us. What shame says, it comes along and it says, not only uh, what you have done has caused you to not be accepted in God's sight or whatever, but but it chips away at your worth and your value. And because you have no worth and value, that you will never be accepted. That you have no chance and no hope. Again, not true. It's a lie. It is not true. But we'll go go into that next week, okay? Uh, We'll go into all of that next week. So... That's kind of a that's a difference between shame uh, and guilt, uh, which which I hope can make a lot of sense. Uh, I'll just finish off with this, and because we talked a lot about shame, and we'll probably talk about this next week too, about how well it's how guilt is a um, an indication that we've broken a moral law, and then what shame does is it comes along and it takes that guilt, and 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 says and connects it to our identity, right? But what happens? When we haven't done something wrong, perhaps something has been done wrong to us. For example, maybe you've been sexually abused or physically or emotionally or verbally or spiritually abused um, or taken advantage of or, or some, in other words, somebody else has transgressed a moral law using you as the instrument to do it. So it's not your fault. And we can still uh, uh, feel tremendous amounts of shame. Uh, in regards to that. So what I mean by that is that shame can be linked to trauma as well and and not just what we've done. 
there's a there's a psychologist Gabor Mate. He's a Hungarian um, psychologist, and he talks about this really well. And you might have heard of him. He's kind of doing his rounds around on social media. Um, but he talks about trauma, and he and he says how how often we can think that the that that trauma is the actual event itself that has happened to us. For example, if you've been sexually abused, that that was the trauma, but it's not. Um, even though it was a very traumatic event, the trauma is not the event itself, but rather the trauma is the effects of that event that it has in our lives, the wound that has been created because of what has happened to us. Uh, a good example of that would be, say, for example, if I'm cutting onions and I slice my finger, right? And then there's, there's a cut and my finger's bleeding. Um, the trauma is not the actual knife cutting my finger. It's not. It's, the trauma is not the event. The trauma is the effect of the event of what has happened. Uh, it's the cut. It's the wound. And that's good news because if trauma was the event itself, then there's nothing we can do about it because it was in the past. It's already happened. Uh, but that's not the case. The case is that the, the, the trauma is the effect of the event, which means that it's healable. And so the, that's great news. It means that we can heal our wound. We can find ways to, to heal uh, and to, to separate ourselves from the effect that that trauma has had on our lives and, and learn to heal it. And so what, what, what's that got to do with shame? Well, um, it's the same thing with shame, is that shame, if something has happened to us where somebody else has transgressed a moral law and used us as an instrument to do that, um, and the shame has been in a way transferred uh, to us, uh, then we can heal it. It's not, it's not permanent. It's something that we can work through. It's something that we can let go of. It's something that we can, we can heal in our lives, which is great news. And again, we're going to be talking all about that next week on how to uh, overcome shame. And so there we have it. That's the difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is a good thing. It's an it's a indication or a warning sign, a warning light inside of us that's inherent in all of us that lets us know that we've broken a moral law uh, and gives us the opportunity to repent and to reconcile. Um, and that's a great thing. So guilt is a good thing, uh, whether it's reconciling with God or with others, other people. If we've transgressed against somebody else, then we ought to feel that guilt so that we can repair that relationship, which is a good thing. So guilt is a good thing. It's from God. Uh, but shame is not. Shame is not a good thing. Shame uh, connects what we have done to our identity and says, because you have done this, you are worthless or you have lost value, which is simply not true. Okay, so I, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, how we know that we're operating in shame and how do we break free from it. So uh, believe me, if you've listened to this episode and you're left wondering questions on how to break free from shame, uh, then please tune in next week and we're going to be talking all about that on the final episode of the season uh, of Real Talk. So thank you for listening. We'll see you then.